0: Hello, and welcome to My Bright Idea, the stories behind successful small businesses. I am your host, Cameron Glenar. As a real estate agent, I can tell you the kitchen has a huge impact on a home's desirability. And it's not just the functionality of the kitchen as a room that you cook and store food in. The kitchen is seen as a gathering place. It's looked at as the heart of the home so a little history here in the days before electricity the whole family and guests typically gathered in the kitchen to keep warm and it was always you know the biggest room in the house so that just kind of makes sense and then once electricity became the norm after a dinner party the men would head to the parlor for brandy and cigars or whatever they do and the women would head to the kitchen when the evening came to a close the men would wander back into the kitchen to gather their wives and say their goodbyes. Now, fast forward. Modern day parties end up in the kitchen because that's where the food and drinks are. It's a pretty convenient place to snack on peanuts during a conversation, and you're never far from your next drink when you need one. I've been known to do that. For whatever reason, if you can't find me at a house party, head to the kitchen and you're likely to find me there. Now, apparently, there was some sort of pandemic in 2020. I don't know much about it, but people weren't allowed to travel or even visit friends, and our kitchens took a pretty big hit. All of a sudden, the kitchen as we know it went from a warm gathering place to a storage facility for MREs and a year's supply of toilet paper. Weird times, I know. But today's guest found a way to keep the kitchen spirit alive that year. He created a company he calls Deary Dari. DeeriDari is a fun and easy way to book live interactive online cooking classes with a chef, couple that with complete ingredient delivery to your doorstep prior to the session, and you're able to do this live with other friends and family members anywhere in the world. It sounds to me like my guest found the secret ingredients to success. So to hear more about it, please welcome Jake Doherty, the founder of DeeriDari. Jake Doherty, welcome to the podcast.
1: Well, Cameron, thank you for having me here today on My Bright Idea. This is such a great honor. I'm excited to be speaking with you and your audience. It's going to be a
0: lot of fun. Thank you, Jake, and it's nice to have you here with us. Now, fun fact, you are my first international interview. Wow. And you know, judging by your American accent, many may not realize you're coming from Germany. And since you are in Germany, I hope you don't mind. I got to ask, what is your beer of choice lately?
1: Oh, that's a great question, Cameron. That's a great way to start this off. I'm actually in Bavaria, which is southern Germany. And this is, well, in the minds of the Bavarians, let's say, the home of beer. And so with that in mind, I guess you could say I'm a beer enthusiast. And my current favorite is a small brewery that's here in southern Bavaria called Griesbroi, uh, uh, Griesbroi. But that's not going to be one that most of your listeners are going to recognize. My second most favorite is probably Augustiner. Now, Augustiner is the oldest continuously ran brewery in the city of Munich. They opened their doors in 1328. It was originally a monastic brewery. But during the time of secularism, when Napoleon showed up in the 1800s, he took away all the industries of the church. He said the Catholic Church should be taking care of people's souls and not their pocketbooks. So when he did, the Augustiner Brewery was turned over to the Joseph Wagner family. And Cameron, this is one of my favorite parts of the story. The Joseph Wagner family in the 1970s decided to give 49% ownership of the brewery to local children's charities in the city of Munich. So by drinking Augustiner, and this is for your audience, by drinking Augustiner, you are literally doing God's work. So grab one if you can find it.
0: If we can find it, do you think we can?
1: Augustiner does have an export. Now, Augustiner famously doesn't need to have an export. And so they're what we call the liquid gold around here. their Hellas, Helles, which is their lager beer. They don't export it. They keep it here in Bavaria. And then what they call their dregs, they ship off in the form of an export. So if you do find it, you're going to find it's not as tasty as I am building it up to be. So my suggestion to you, Cameron, and your audience is when this whole Corona thing is over, come on over to Bavaria, come to Munich and go to any of the Augustiner brew houses in downtown Munich and ask for their lager and you will be
0: impressed. Done deal. Now, I've been a beer drinker my entire adult life. And when I was younger, you know, in my younger 20s, I would always gravitate towards the darker, more bitter beers. But since I'm getting older, my taste has changed. I'm now into the more uh, lighter and sweeter beers. Now, when it comes to German beer, I lean towards a Marzen.
1: Well, that's an interesting tale if you want to hear it. Sure. Mietzen. um, It goes to the way beer is brewed. So basically... Uh, I wasn't joking. The Bavarians like to say they created beer. Now it's not true. Beer's been around since basically the Fertile Crescent, going back to ancient Mesopotamia. But the real and the Egyptians as well. But the reality is that the Bavarians were the first, mm, most historians agree, to add hops to beer. And in fact, still today, the largest pro- the second largest producer of hops is Bavaria, coming from a region called the Holotau. Now, with that in mind. Before mechanical refrigeration and heat exchangers, most of your beer that you would drink in the summer months was going to be, and they wouldn't allow it to finish its second mm-hmm. time, normally in a tank, but instead they would put it into a barrel. They would put it into a barrel, a wooden barrel, and then they would roll it down a hill into a very, very deep hole. And that was a Keller or in German, lager the beer in a Keller. When they would put those wooden barrels underground, they would cover them with ice traditionally taken from the English gardens in downtown Munich. And then that hole, they would cover it. And that was a basement, of course. And on top where that hole is, they would plant these trees. Now, these trees were huge and they had beautiful leaves and they would provide shade, covering, of course, the Keller to ensure that the ice didn't melt, keeping the beer cold throughout the entire summer months. And that is the birth of what we know of as lager beer. Lager doesn't mean beer. It just means to store something on a shelf. And in fact, here in Bavaria, that beer, a lager, is called a Helles, which simply means a light beer. Now, my favorite part of the tale, though, is what happens to these big breweries, specifically what we call the big six in the city of Munich, Augustiner, Lovenbrau, Spaten, Hofbrau, Polliner, and Hacker Shore. What do they do with the leftover beer that they had in their Keller, in their basement whenever the summer is over, when fall becomes apparent. Whenever the cold weather returns, they can they can start brewing yet again. Well, you know what they would do with that beer that they brewed in March, Cameron? Well, think about the word matzen. What does that translate, matzen from German into English? March. You got it. You nailed it. You hit the nail with the hammer. <laughs> exactly. They would take the leftover beer that they had in the basement. They would bring it up and they'd bring it to the Oktoberfest and be like, hey, we know it doesn't taste good. We know it's got a red color because it's been sitting in a barrel for too for too long. And it might be a little bit like vinegar, but hey, you guys are drinking in excess. The beer is cheap. You're drinking in liter mugs. You don't care. Enjoy. And So that's the foundations of a medicine right there.
0: Interesting. Now, I wonder where I went wrong. So at the beginning of the pandemic, my first stay at home project was I, bar- I brought a brew kit. And I made my own Hefenweizen, but it was disappointingly flat. So I brought it over to a friend of mine's house and, you know, to give him a taste. And um, we ended up running it through his soda stream (laughs) and it helped a little bit. It added a little bite, but you know, in the end, I was just kind of a little turned off from the whole experience. And I just think I'm going to leave it to the professionals from here on out. (laughs) <laughs> well,
1: the problem, the problem was it's a Hefeweizen, which is a top-fermented beer. Top-fermented beers, are, uh, they use what we call the old yeast, which is a very aggressive yeast. So it's going to aggressively attack the malt sugar that's in the wort. And a Hefeweizen, it's a wheat beer uh, having a high caloric content. So whenever you begin to bottle it and you put it into the mawaflasha, which is the one with the resealable lid, a lot of the CO2 seeped out. And I'm assuming you didn't filter it too heavily or pasteurize the beer before you put it in the bottle. So you still had live yeast. So the live yeast and the bacteria basically between having the just that rubber seal, the live yeast and the bacteria between the three, something inside there basically you know killed your beer. So uh, my suggestion, though, is try it again, but try maybe a Hellas or a Lager instead of a Hefeweizen. Around here, half ice
0: is what we drink for breakfast, if you're curious. <laughs> <laughs> breakfast of champions. Well, I appreciate you dropping some beer knowledge on us. Beer 101, who would have thought? <laughs> now, on to what brought you here. Do you want to tell us about Diri Dari? Did I pronounce that right? Diri Dari? You did. Basically, Diri
1: Dari. Uh, it's a very old word. Um, it goes to the time of the 16th century, 1500s, when a market that was in Italy in Balzano moved into Bavaria to the town of Mittenwald. And the Italian merchants that moved up, they were using this terminology for a cash payment called a ditty diddy. Well, the Bavarians, they began to accept this terminology. A ditty-ditty is to make a cash payment. Well, the terminology continued to be used here in Bavaria. And what happens is in the 1600s, you have the 30 Years' War, 1618 to 1648, three-fourths of the population is killed. And nobody had any cash. Nobody had any kind of way to pay in coin. And so instead of making a diddy-diddy, they would oftentimes make what's called a didi dari which was an exchange of services. And that terminology went back to being used still to this day here in Bavaria, but it can mean either an exchange of service or a cash payment. It can be used either way. And it's the name of our new platform. As your listeners have probably figured out, here in Bavaria, I am a tour guide. <laughs> I love the history of this area. And for the past 12 years, I owned two tour guide companies, one called Bavarian Beer Vacations and the other one called All Things Garmish Tours. And both those platforms for the past 11 and a half years were very successful. In fact, just uh, 16 months ago, I had a staff of six people. But then um, last March, it was actually last February, last February, my wife and I, we went to South Africa to visit some friends. And when we came back, it was March 6th. That was the date we came back. By March 17th, March 6th to March 17th, I had 120,000 euros in confirmed bookings cancel and had to give back over 17,000 euros in deposits. It was like the bottom fell out. I then uh, went to my staff and basically we had a lot of tears and we all realized it was over. You know, there wasn't anything we could do. So I mothballed both of those businesses and started drinking way too much beer wearing the same pair of underwear and sweatpants for, I guess, a good two weeks and a stained wife beater t-shirt until basically my wife, (laughs) who I adore more than life itself, she took me outside and she hosed me down, literally hosed me down, and told me to put on some fresh clothes and shave my beard and go visit with my friends and make sure I brush my teeth before I left the house, just to get me out of the house to try and bring me back to society. I went and visited with several friends, and one of them, who I was talking to was owned a very successful restaurant in Garmisch called the Shrane, which if you guys ever come to Garmisch part in Kierken, go eat there. The Shrane it's owned by Augustiner. So you're going to have great beer and great food and great history inside that restaurant as well. And Philip who owns the place was talking and lamenting about how he had to let go of his entire staff, his front end and the kitchen, everybody. And one of the, uh, the chefs, For the restaurant was there. And he was lamenting about how he wasn't going to be able to put food on the table for his wife and two kids. And that's what got me thinking, Cameron, that's really what kind of had me going. At the time when all this occurred, I was working with a lot of what's called online travel agencies, including Viatar, Expedia, Airbnb, Get Your Guide. And a lot of these platforms were trying to pivot into virtual tourism, where you could book me pay me money, and I would take my phone and put in my ear earbuds, and I would take you to New Schwanstein Castle and talk about the history of Ludwig II and show you all the castle's exterior. But the reality of that, Cameron, in my mind, was that it wasn't going to work.
0: Yeah, well, why try and reinvent that wheel? Virtual tours have been going on for a long time. It's like, what's new?
1: I know. That wheel is already running smooth. I mean, you, you can go to a YouTube video and get that information. But whenever I was listening to Philip and to his chef, lament i thought well let's see if we can maybe create a new wheel let's see if we can do something with cooking so i started looking at other platforms out there that do interactive live cooking experiences and i thought okay this is this has got potential because it's a learning experience but it's still missing something and i started to kind of play with the idea of doing live interactive cooking experiences with chefs from around the world and coupling it with ingredient delivery in the united states But I wanted it to be available, not just for one person. I wanted friends and family from around the world to be able to connect, to come together with a chef and cook a meal and then have those ingredients that they need for that meal delivered to their home before the meal. And I thought, oh, I could do this. Now, this is a pipe dream. You know, this is not reality. As um, my bright idea, as you'd like to discuss, Cameron, it's this was just an idea if I was going to act on it, I was going to need, A, to put it down into a business plan, B, and I needed help. So the first person I reached out to was a really good friend of mine who also used to work here in Garmisch Park in Kierken, Germany, and his name was Anthony Bandolin. And Anthony is a full-stack programmer who was working for Booking.com.
0: Is he back in the United States or still in Germany?
1: Ironically, he lives in Berlin, Germany. In fact, the three founders who I'm about to go into, all three of us still live in Germany. But all of us at one time or another worked in Garmisch-Partenkirchen. So I asked Anthony, I said, Anthony, is this possible? Can we make this into a business? You know, and he said, yeah, Jake, it can be a business and I want to be a part of it. So right there, I knew we had we had a nugget of an idea. So we started working on it, hashing out, trying to build it out. And then I went to another dear friend of mine who is the head chef overseeing six restaurants here in the Alps, a man who was a police officer in Southern Florida who changed his entire career path, went to culinary school and has done amazing things. And I just went to go talk to him about, you know, how would I do this? How would I approach chefs? How could I find chefs for my platform? And when I pitched it to Jonathan Graber, he looked at me and goes, I'm quitting my job. I want to come on this. I want to be a part of it. And right there, you have the three founders of DearyDary.com. We started in uh, April and we had our business license in June. And then we had our beta in Philadelphia in the end of November, beginning of December. And as of January, we are United States live
0: all over. Wow. So here's what I like about this. You can look up a recipe online. Everybody knows this now. Or in the joy of cooking or whatever. But And and I speak from personal experience. One little mistake can ruin the whole dish. And it can be hard to pinpoint where you went wrong. Exactly. But when you have your instructor walking you through step by step, watching your every move – The chances are pretty good that they're going to catch your fatal mistake and correct it. Correct. That's priceless. So tell me more about what sets you apart from your competitors.
1: There are a few competitors out there um, that are mostly based in the Midwest. There is one that's in Florida as well. And of course, we did extensive research into our competition to see what they were doing, to see what they had that was working and what we thought we could either improve upon or change. So yeah, there is competition out there, but there was always a couple of th- key things about our platform that we just kind of you know would always smile because we're like, oh, what they don't have that, <laughs> you know, they don't have that key aspect. Mm-hmm. And the main ones, Cameron, are is of course our ingredient delivery. That's huge. The the ability to have the ingredients delivered to your home before the course, and then to we we try and source from uh, local. Uh, stores so that the person delivering your groceries is, you know, the kid who lives next door. So we, we work really hard to have that. Our logistics team is amazing being headed by Lars Stutchley. Uh, now, as we begin to scale, we're going to have to find a new method of doing this, but right now it is fully effective. And then the second thing is our embedded video conferencing. Most of these other platforms, they use similar video conferencing, such as, I hate to say it, but Zoom or something like that. Well, we didn't want to go that route. We wanted to have our own video conferencing so that you could have, it was a one-stop shop. It takes four, literally four steps to purchase an experience on our platform, Deary And the fourth step is that you have your own password protected page with the recipe, the list of ingredients, photos, and videos from the chef to help you prepare for your live interactive course. And then on the day of the course, right there on your password protected page, boom, there's your friends in wherever, let's say Dubai, there's your family from Tennessee and there's your chef. You all come together and you cook this meal together with the chef. Like you said, Cameron, keeping an eye on everything to make sure that nothing boils over.
0: I like it. So your programmer friend who's involved, was he the brains behind your video platform?
1: Oh, he built the entire platform. Basically Anthony is, um, hopefully he's not listening because I don't want him to know this, but he is a genius. I mean, he is, He's literally a genius. I I don't want to toot his horn too much because (laughs) he'll come back and throw it in my face. But uh, yeah, he is an absolute genius who laid down the foundations of our platform using Ruby on Rails. It's got an admin portal just for the chefs so that the chefs can onboard pretty much uh, uh, without uh, our interaction. Once they're onboarded, they get to create their own content their, uh they have their own portal where they can oversee their chats with their chef, uh, with their customers. They can create their own content in the form of recipes, meal plans and meals, uh, load their photos, videos, all that, that beautiful admin portal. And then on the customer side, it's just a seamless experience with all the different courses the chefs offer, all the bios of the chefs, our kids cook camp, which is coming this summer. And then... You get to basically filter it however you want. And if you still don't find what you want, we have an active chat feature with the chef, all of our chefs, so that you can just reach out to a chef and be like, hey, man, I see you're a really good oriental chef. I want to learn how to make a dim dim sum, but I don't see it on your page. Can you teach me? And yeah, of course they can.
0: And so they'll reach back out and set up a date and time and then boom, just like that, you're ready to go. That's great. So it's really like the possibilities are endless. Now, take me back to the beginning. How did you reach out to chefs and get them on board? Well, the funny part was
1: when I first started, I wanted to test it, test it, test it, test it. So I used chefs here in Germany where I told two of my friends who were chefs, I said, put on some lederhosen, grab a beer.
0: Whoa, 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 whoa. A leader? what?
1: <laughs> oh, are you kidding me, Cameron? Are you kidding me? <laughs> so Lederhosen is the very traditional Bavarian dress with the, the leather pants. And then you have the, the very famous look you'll see at the Oktoberfest. Uh, well, Lederhosen is actually something people around here do wear. They wear it to go. If you're a farmer, you wear it to go to work in the summer. You wear it for weddings, funerals, parties, uh, big events, even just going to dinner. But you definitely wear it at every beer festival in Bavaria. And so I wanted the chef that we, I had two chefs to put on their lederhosen and teach Americans how to make schnitzel, you know, a famous schnitzel with roasted potatoes and asparagus. Very simple. And for two months, uh, I was piggybacking off of larger uh, grocery delivery services in America, testing this to see if it would work. And it worked seamlessly. When I brought on Jonathan Graver, uh, or when Jonathan wanted to be a part of the project, his trepidation was we wouldn't be able to find chefs, but I knew, Cameron, I knew that if we built it, they will come. And the reason being is it's not just because of COVID and there's a lot of chefs that are out of work. The reality is there's a lot of chefs who have families and they want to be able to spend time with their families. When your kid is doing his homework and has the time to play ball Is going to be tucked into bed. You're in an industrial kitchen. When Christmas rolls around or Easter rolls around, you're working. When your kids are getting their presents, and so if we could give a chef the ability to get have a second source of income, so that they can take maybe one or two of those days off or a couple of nights a week off to be with their kids, they're going to jump on it. And so yeah, all we did is we threw it up on social media, and my goodness, we've got currently 34 chefs with another 20 in the pipeline to sign up with over. 380 courses being offered at this moment.
0: And do you have a specific dairy dari structured environment or some sort of scripted layout that each chef provides?
1: Of course, we make it as easy as possible. Once we have everybody on the screen, then the chef just welcomes everybody and very slowly begins to work into the process of cooking. We don't want to just rush you into this and put heat on the pan, that kind of thing. And we give everybody in the virtual kitchen time to talk, to connect, to laugh, to mess up, to giggle, and to show, of course, their mistakes and their successes. So we make it as close to being in one kitchen as we can. And then we allow them to just keep the link open after the chef leaves. So once the meal is prepared, once everybody's happy, the chef is, you know, of course, happy with the product and every you know all everything that needs to be done is done. And he sees that everybody's ready to go eat. The chef's like, hey, enjoy your family meal. And then walks away so that everybody can keep their computers on and laugh and giggle while they eat.
0: Wow. Now, that's a whole other level I didn't even consider. You eat your meal and drink some wine together at the end. That's a lovely touch. Yeah.
1: We're very proud of it
0: we're very very proud
1: of it and yeah we've gotten a lot of great feedback on it just recently we had a a woman whose mother was put into a assisted living and her mother couldn't leave because of covid and so they couldn't connect the daughter and the mother couldn't come together and the daughter was furious because her own daughter wasn't able to see her grandmother on her graduation day and so she contacted a chef direct on our platform and said hey i want to I want to do a cake. I want to bake a cake with my mother who is in a retired or assisted living facility. Can you make that happen so that my daughter, myself and my mother can all come together? And it's just like we will make it work. And at the end of it, oh my goodness, there was there was a lot of emotion on that one particular call, but it was great to see that it that it worked out, you know, that everybody got to come together. And the chef, just like I said, once the cake was done or pretty much done, it was in the oven. He's like, I want to give you guys time. If you need me, just use the chat feature. I can come back to help take the cake out of the oven. But the three of you, I see you guys are having a great conversation. You're bonding. You haven't talked in a while. I'm just going to step back. So yeah, that was really, it was amazing experience. And it brought a
0: am not going to lie. It brought a little tear
1: to my, to my eye when I got to hear about the whole thing.
0: Well, of course. And that right there is a customer experience that's an affirmation that what you're doing is a worthy endeavor. Yeah. Now you have a kid's cooking camp, right? I do.
1: I've got two daughters. I have a 10 year old and a six year old. And one of the things my oldest daughter asked me after doing several experiences with her grandmother who lives in Tennessee, where they cooked brownies together, they did a strawberry shortcake, all kinds of stuff was my daughter said, well, you need to do something where I can meet other people. And I said, okay, all right, Annabelle. That's my daughter's name, Annabelle. I said, I'll see what we can do. So I brought our uh, you know, perspectives together of my entire team. I said, why don't we do something like a, I don't know, like a summer camp. And oh my God, everybody's eyes lit up. And so we started planning that out uh, two months ago. And it is already available for purchase. Now the summer kids cook camp, it goes from ages eight all the way to 19. And we bring kids together in groups of six, either four or six, and they're grouped by their age and they get a uh, one-on-one, let's say a four to one or a six to one uh, experience with a chef for either three days or five days, one hour a day. So one hour a day, your child, your daughter, your son can basically interact with a chef and meet kids from around the world, his own age. And they get to hang out and talk and communicate and learn kitchen skills. So let's go with the eight-year-old. For the eight-year-old, they're going to learn basic kitchen skills to make sure that they don't accidentally turn the oven on when you are you know, had one too many beers the night before and didn't get up for breakfast. Or they're going to make sure that they know how to make simple things like pizza dough or how to make, uh, I don't know, uh, a, a crust for a cake or a pie. So things that they're going to be so proud to show mom and dad, but in the background, mom and dad are knowing that their kids are learning kitchen skills. They're going to keep them safe and are going to allow them to grow into chefs when they get older. And then let's go to the 19 year old. Let's go from one extreme to the other, the 19 year old. Well, God forbid, you know, my daughter is 19 and she's still living at home. But if she is, I want her to have the skills necessary to live on her own. And so that's what we're teaching. Basically, from 17 to 19, that age group, we're giving them the skills to move out of the home, to prepare themselves for living alone, meal planning, to how to take a chicken, debone it, and then, of course, preserve that meat and make a stock. Everything that you need to know to make your kitchen dollar, let's say, last. And as well, we want to teach them fun stuff. So we're doing things like, you know, pimp a ramen, you know, take a ramen noodle soup and make it even better. Or if you're curious, yeah, you can use that iron to make a grilled cheese sandwich and we'll show you how to do it. So fun stuff. And every one of our kids, every one of them gets their very own chef kit. Now in the chef kit, they get their own chef hat and all the tools that they're going to need to become, of course, that next level chef. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. It starts in June. It goes all the way to August and you go straight to diriDari.com and sign up for it,
0: but we're running out of space. So do it quick. That's really cool. Well, learning fundamentals in the kitchen is super important, of course. And you know, earlier the better in my opinion, and then learning how to pimp ramen, no better way to make friends in college, right? (laughs) So when I was perusing your website, I noticed there are different price ranges from like, I think below 25 to upwards of 500. What do the different prices give you?
1: You know, the funny part, Cameron, is we don't tell the chefs what to price their courses at. So the way our platform works is very similar to an online travel agency. So think of Expedia or Booking.com. You go to Booking.com and you're looking for a hotel in, let's say, Los Angeles. And they're gonna have over there on that search bar the ability for you to choose your pricing which is something that we do as well, because we do not tell our chefs what they can charge. We're basically, it's organic. We're gonna let the chefs figure it out. Now we try and give them parameters. We're like, hey, listen, just so you know, Chef Joshua Northcutt has priced his stuff starting at $15, going all the way up to like $120. And he's getting a lot more hits, according to Google Analytics, than you are with your $500 course. So we give them the tools, the marketing tools, the, uh, the analytics, everything that we can for the chef to, to learn what pricing is going to work, but we don't tell them. So with that in mind, how does it work? Well, I can tell you Chef Joshua's $15 course, which is the one you just quoted, is I think for roasted broccoli with uh, red pepper, which is really good, by the way. And then the $500 course, I can't remember who it was, but as I recall, it was something to the effect of like a three-day smoked brisket requiring at least three to four days with the chef working to get it that meat exactly the way it's supposed to be. But at the same time, though, it's, it's all organic. We're just curious to see what's going to work. Now, how do we make money? How does how Diri does Dari make money? Well, every time a chef gets a booking, we charge a 25% platform fee to the chef. So they get to create their courses, we get to market it for them, and we take a 25% fee when they get a booking. But we want to make sure that that chef gets all the help and guidance we can give them to ensure success.
0: So the chefs are actually totally in charge of the experience and the pricing.
1: 100%.
0: So is word getting around in their community? Do you have chefs knocking on your door yet? Uh, yeah,
1: we have a few. Um, here in Garmisch Parton-Kirchen, we have a few chefs that are interested, and we are bringing the platform to Germany within the next three months. And one of the great things is, as I mentioned earlier, our three founders, we're all in Germany. So we've already got logistics lined up. We have a, what's called Eats GmbH, which is a company here that's going to do our logistics, deliver our ingredients for us. And we've already registered our business license. So it's just a matter of time. We just got to finish the platform tweaks before we bring it over. Now, in the United States, as I said, it's just the funnel of chefs trying to get on the platform. Is It brings a smile to my face every day. And we're super excited to have more and more sign up. But what we want more is, of course, those customer interactions. We want more customers come to the platform because in all honesty, my personal goal, Cameron, is to help these chefs spend that time with their kids so that they can find a second source of income and take that extra day off when they want to.
0: I'll bet that's every chef's dream right there. (laughs) And what are your plans for Dairy Dari moving forward? Our plans, if you're
1: interested, but don't tell your entire listening audience.
0: All right, wait a minute. Half of you out there, turn your volume down. Okay, (laughs) go ahead. Only the smart ones are listening.
1: Our plan is we are going to keep this in the United States while we begin it internationally, bring our American chest to Germany, bring our American chest to the GCC region, starting in Dubai, and that's all going to happen within the next 16 months. But my really true excitement is our next step in marketing, which is where I think this brand is going to move forward to quickly and aggressively, which is we're going to place in csa boxes don't tell everybody but we're going to place in csa boxes so your delivery of all your fresh produce and all your fresh vegetables inside that a flyer with a qr code on it you can use your phone scan that qr code and there will be a live chef right there to help you unbox that box and give you ideas for what's inside for a meal or several meals give you recipe suggestions right then and there so that you get that artichoke and you don't know what to do with it. Well, hit that QR code. There's a chef. Or you can choose. If you don't like the chef that's right there live, choose which chef you want. Set up a time the same day even. And then he will walk you through what to do with that artichoke and prepare, help you prepare a meal. So that's our next big step. And we're super excited about that.
0: Well, there you go, listeners. You heard it here first. Well, at least half of you did. The rest of you can turn your volume back up. Well, it sounds like you have a plan for success and you're keeping the best interest of both your chefs and your customers in mind. Yeah, we're super excited.
1: It's been so far, the journey has been, it's been a lot of fun. It's been challenging, but it's been a lot of fun. And like you said earlier, seeing that we can help these chefs and then seeing, you know, bringing customers to the table. And allowing them to learn how to make that you know, dim sum or whatever is <laughs> just a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> so assuming you and your family have participated, do you have a favorite meal you cooked as a family?
1: Okay. Well, we cooked as a family. I brought my mother in from Tennessee and uh, we brought in my daughter and my wife and I. And we brought in Chef Joshua Northcutt, who is hot pie. And wow, was it good? It was chicken really good. In fact, on this side of the pond, my wife and I and my kids and I, we don't eat a lot of meat, but I've never seen my wife eat chicken that fast. It was so good. It was a really, really good meal. And so yeah, that was my personal favorite so far. But hey, we just hired, we just brought in a new chef, uh, Hannah, and her desserts look amazing. And she just did a, uh, a cooking course with a group of Girl Scouts. And every last one of them were raving about her lasagna. So that, I think that's going to be my next purchase is bringing in our newest chef, Hannah, to teach my daughter and my mother how to make a really good
0: lasagna. Sounds delicious. And do you guys have any holiday themes? Yeah,
1: definitely. So right now we are focusing on building out our kids cook camp as far as on the platform itself. But in the next month, we're going to start doing holiday themes. But all of our chefs, every single holiday, they're giving a marketing tool from Daisy Calizura, who handles all of our marketing to upload specific dishes based on the holiday. So, yeah, we did all kinds of great stuff for Valentine's Day where we were bringing in couples who were either because of COVID or because of distance itself weren't able to come together and they could do things like how to make a chocolate heart shaped cake and that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, uh, bangers and mash is the one that I keep screaming to the, to the heralds. I'm like, come on, I want to learn how to make a good bangers and mash. And in fact, chef Rebecca on the platform just posted a photo of a really, really good looking bangers and mash. So she's on my list. I'm hiring her. She has
0: to come over to the house or virtual kitchen
1: and teach me how
0: to do it. So something I noticed is one of your chefs has it's I think it's like rosemary hipster brownies or something that looks like the sort of thing you'd only see at a gourmet restaurant. And it's awesome that you can just cook that at home.
1: Yeah, we're super excited about that one. That's one of the Chef Joshua Northcuts, actually. And yeah, boy, he is a good chef. And
0: I, I haven't tried that one yet, but it's on my list. It's very high on my list. Mine too. Well, Jake, we're just about out of time, but I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story with us about Dairy Dari. Where can our listeners find you on the internet? All you got
1: to do is go to com at And you'll find all of our chefs with all their amazing courses. And you'll find all the information you need for our Kids Cook Camp this summer. If anyone out there wants to get on the Kids Cook Camp, you got to do it quick though, because boy, is it selling out fast. And we would love to have your children join kids from around the world. And for all of your listeners who are beer aficionados who want to know more about Bavarian beer, all you have to do is go to my Facebook page, All Things Garmish. Hit that chat feature on All Things Garmish Facebook page. Send me a message and I'll answer whatever questions I can. And Cameron, last but not least, I just want to thank you for having me today here on My
0: Bright Idea. It's been a pleasure. That was a fascinating conversation. It's really inspiring to me that Jake saw an opportunity during the pandemic, but it was a selfless opportunity. He saw a way to help starving chefs stay on their feet during a difficult year for them and also help his customers stay close with friends and family in a fun and educational environment. And to have a foothold in the now ever so present video conferencing side of life as a business, that's a smart move. I would like to thank you the listener for joining us today for this incredible small business story. Don't forget to follow My Bright Idea on your podcast player so you can hear all of my upcoming episodes with more fun and inspirational stories from small business owners. If you would like to see our guest bios and be a part of the discussions behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook. Just type in My Bright Idea and join the group. You can also find us on Twitter at My Bright Idea Pod and Instagram at My Bright Idea Podcast. If you or anyone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, please visit mybrightideapodcast.com. Go to Be a Guest and submit your story there. And if anyone would like to show support by buying me a cup of coffee, you can do that at my website as well. Thank you, everyone. I wish all of you an abundance of success and happiness. See you next time.